Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins and welcome to Life, Death and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium and here we explore life, death, consciousness and what it all means. Today I have such a treat, someone that I have followed for quite some time. I am honored, honored, honored to have Rabbi Steve Leader on the podcast. After receiving his degree in writing and graduating cum laude from Northwestern University and time studying at Trinity College in Oxford, Rabbi Leader received a master's degree in Hebrew letters in 1986 and a rabbinical ordination in 1987 from Hebrew Union College. He currently serves as the, ra- the senior rabbi of Wilshire Boulevard Temple, a prestigious synagogue in Los Angeles with three campuses and 2,700 families. His third book, More Beautiful Than Before, How Suffering Transforms Us, reached number four on Amazon's overall bestsellers in the first week. It remains a bestseller in several categories. His book, The Beauty of What Remains, How Our Greatest Fear Becomes Our Greatest Gift, was published in January 2001. His new book for you, 2021, not 2001, 2021, his new book, for You When I'm Gone, 12 Essential Questions to Tell a Life Story, was also just published on June 7th, 2022. Welcome, Rabbi Leader. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. I'm really honored to be with you. Thank you so much for everybody who has supported the podcast. So there's so many ways you can support the podcast and the work that I'm doing. One, you can spread the word about the podcast. So Share the podcast with someone you know, repost my anything on social media. If you are a therapist listening to the podcast and you have a client who you think would benefit, share it with them. This podcast has grown completely organically. It is all because of you all sharing the podcast. And we are coming up on a million downloads, which is amazing. Other ways that you can support the podcast is through Patreon. So if you would like to become a patron, You can go to Patreon, put in Dr. Amy Robbins. You can find different tiers to support the podcast at the $5, $10, or $20 level or any other denomination. And my $20 supporters do get once quarterly Zoom calls with me. They've been fabulous. If you benefit from the podcast, if your life has shifted or changed as a result of the podcast, please help me continue to help you have on these great guests. Also follow me on Instagram, Dr. Amy Robbins. I love hearing from my listeners, trying to do my best to be quick to respond. And lastly, rate, review, and subscribe. I also love reading the reviews. So you can rate the podcast, but you can also review the podcast. Thank you all for all of your support, for all of your love, for all of your helping to collectively raise the consciousness of this planet. I am so incredibly grateful. I am honored to be with you as well. So two books in two years, less uh, than two years. Yeah, less than two years, a uh, little bit less than two years. Uh, you know, the, none of the benefits of the pandemic are worth the loss of a million lives and all the people those deaths affected. However, uh, it was not worth less to those of us who could work from home and spend less time on the freeway and running around and more time writing and thinking and reading. So uh, I don't think under any other circumstance I could have written or published two books in within the less than two years. I I just don't think it would have been possible, but because of the pandemic, it was. 
And these books are kind of siblings or first cousins to each other, which also helps, of course. Well, and I think, you know, in this time, death has never been more front and center and such an important part of the conversations that we're having. And as I was reading The Beauty of What Remains, one of the things that I've been that I was struck by was how many funerals you have been a part of and how intimately close you are usually the first person someone calls when their loved one dies. You've been up front and center for death. So, but the book is really about the death of your own father and how that death shifted your perception of what it means to die and what it means to live. So can you talk a little bit about this, this universal experience of death that we have and how your being upfront in that way and walking through it really changed your perception? Well, first let's think through a little more deeply the, the idea of what you might mean by the universal experience of death. If it is, if what you're thinking of is just the most basic fact of finitude, that we all die, yes, that's a universal experience. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, there's very little that's universal about our experience of death, loss, grief, darkness, and light. And the beauty of what remains was ultimately in a way I didn't realize while writing it about an exploration of the dualities of death. There are, death is ultimately for me, revelatory of the dualities of life. Mm -hmm. I'll give you some examples. So you're right. It, I'd been, I had officiated over a thousand funerals before I wrote the book. And that book was really kind of an apology to those thousand families because those families were helped by Steve Leader, the rabbi, who thought he knew a lot about death and loss and grief and love and therefore life. And then my own father died. And my experience of death was not as a helping professional. It was not vicarious. It was me, my life, my dad. It was me watching my children weep at their grandfather's funeral. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the truth is, Yiddish expression that I love, which is a half truth is a whole lie. And I realized that everything I thought I knew about death and loss and grief was only kind of right. It was what Steve Leader, the rabbi could learn. But when it was Steve Leader, the son, it was a, a different experience entirely. And the book is really an exploration of that duality, the journey from Steve Leader, the rabbi to Steve Leader, the son. But it's about all the multiple dualities that you and I are around as other people experience them. So, for example, one of the one of the reassessments was I began to understand memory in a different way. 
because rabbis, as you probably know, are full of platitudes. Forget rabbis, all clergy, and therefore everyone who listens to them, we're all full of these platitudes about memory. You know, may his memory be a blessing. Even Wolf Blitzer, you know, says it on CNN. She'll always be in your memory. So you'll always, you will always have this memory. Yes, memory is beautiful, but it also really, really hurts sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's both. Mm -hmm. In the book, I say it's like being caressed and spat on at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's memory. Mm -hmm. That's the truth of memory. All I want to do is think of her. I don't want to think about her at all. It's too painful. Mm -hmm. All I do is want to talk about him. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. And that's a, that's a new understanding and a, and a truthful, whole truth understanding of memory. Um, and I think in so many ways, the dichotomy of what it means to be a human being. Yes. That, that push Paul. Yes, yes. And, and the death, death is the great teacher of these dualities and experience of the dualities. For example, since my father died, and, and we don't need to get into my whole tortured childhood, but let's just say that. You could read it in the book. Yeah, read the book. <laughs> it's not so pretty. Uh, but as I, since the experience of my father's death, and I think probably growing older, I'm 62 years old, things mean so much less to me now, and things mean so much more to me now. Mm. It's both. It's both. Things that mattered so much to me 20 years ago matter little or not at all to me now. Like what? Think, well, an offense, for example. Mm. Mm -hmm. If someone offended me 20 years ago or tried to somehow outmaneuver me, supplant me, challenge me, I was fierce in retaliation. Now, I don't care. I rise above it. No one died. Get over myself. And, and you attribute that to your experience facing death versus just as you've gotten older, you, the way you see the world is different. Another duality. Mm -hmm. Impossible, impossible to reconcile mm -hmm. and answer that question. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I only know it's different. My attitude toward money. Money matters much less to me now and much more to me now. Mm. And you talk about that in for you when I'm gone about like what you can take with you and what you can't. Yeah, which is nothing. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, and the whole point of for you when I'm gone, let's think about this for a minute. A duality or a dichotomy definitionally cannot be resolved. However, for me, recognizing the dichotomous tension between death and life, memory, mm -hmm. the beauty of what remains that's revealed by the taking away, right? The recognition of this dichotomous tension, for me, is its own resolution. That irreconcilable difference 
once recognized for me and made peace with is a resolution, Mm -hmm. is a reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the acceptance of. That's right. Right. That's what I was going to say, because I think in reading the book, in reading The Beauty of What Remains, I think that's when you talk about going to see a woman who's dying and wants, wants to choose. She wants permission in California. Yes, that chapter caused quite a stir in the Jewish world, I must say. It was amazing because I was like waiting to see, okay, what is he going to do here when our, what we're teaching conflicts with how we feel as a human being about it. Yes. So can you speak a little bit to to, to that experience? And then then I want to talk about this stuff about things. We can get back to that. Yes, yes, yes. So this is chapter four in the book. It's called When More Is Not Better. And this is in the beauty of what remains. And and this was, again, another dichotomous tension within me. Am I Steve Leader, the rabbi, or Steve Leader, the human being? Mm-hmm. So what happened was, uh, I, I changed the names, but in the book, I called her Tara. This is a woman I'd known, you know, for 35 years, uh, taking care of her, her family, her kids, her ex-husband, you know, the whole the whole package. And she had ALS and it was getting worse and worse and worse. In California, we have a compassionate death law that allows people who would otherwise die within six months with the permission of two doctors and a PhD in psychology or a psychiatrist signing off on it, they can receive medication that when taken will end their life within minutes. And California has this law, thank goodness, in my opinion. So she told her husband when she gives him the signal, she wanted him to call me and ask me to come over. And the call came. I was driving home from a clergy retreat in the desert. I was sitting in LA traffic and the phone rings at Stephen. He says, Tara wants to see you. Please come now. So I made my way there. I pulled up to the house and it was so clearly, you know, the home of someone severely ill and compromised. Mm-hmm. The ramp at the front door, mm-hmm. you know, that 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 smell of sanitizer, the the stack of adult diapers in the corner, the the bed the, pans, the, the all yeah. of it, the oxygen tank, all of it. The house just amplified, you know. I mean, it, it just exemplified death. Mm-hmm decline. So I go up into the bedroom and I've seen this so many times where a person's life literally shrinks to the square footage of a hospital bed, a rented hospital bed. And this is where she was. And a few days earlier, Tara had even lost the ability to point to letters on a chart to communicate. She just couldn't control her body any longer. And she could no longer speak. She could only mumble and it was unintelligible. So she, Stephen said, she asked me at this point, she gave me the signal. She wants to take the medication, but she'll only do it if you say it's okay. I mean, what a burden. Yes. That is. Yes. And, you know, I've been in this situation before in a way like rabbi, they we're thinking about turning off the respirator, but we're only going to do it if you say it's okay. And, and so for me, the clarifying question is always, are we prolonging this person's life 
or are we prolonging this person's death? Mm -hmm. That clears away all the underbrush. Mm -hmm. That is the only question to me that matters. And it's, so I, I held her hand. I said, Tara, I know why you asked me here. And she was just grimacing and mumbling. And I just held her hand for a few minutes, looked into her eyes, her pleading eyes. And then I asked Stephen and Tara's daughter to step out into the hallway with me. And here's what I said to them. I said, look, if Tara asked me here as her, as a rabbi, then the answer is no. She cannot take the medication because in Judaism, there is no relative value to human life. Period. Whether you have 10 minutes or 10 decades left to live, your lives are of equal value. Whether you have Down syndrome or you're a Nobel Prize winner, your lives are of equal value. There is no relative value to life in Judaism. And we are not allowed to do anything to hasten death. Active euthanasia is completely forbidden. Passive euthanasia is allowed. You can, so for morphine. example, stop doing things. You can't, you cannot increase the morphine to end a person's life. You can have an appropriate level of morphine to control a person's pain because increasing the morphine would be hastening death. That's active, intentional gotcha. euthanasia. Now, for example, removing a medication that might be keeping a person alive, there there's some wiggle room to debate. But from a Jewish standpoint, my answer had to be no. And I said this to them. But then I looked at them and I said, but I cannot imagine treating Tara with less compassion than my dog. Mm-hmm. So I am going to go in there and tell her yes. So the three of us held hands. We walked up to her bedside and I said, Tara, it's okay. You can take the medication. I'm with you. And then I went home. And about two hours later, my phone rang and it was Stephen. He said, Rabbi, it's Stephen. Tara's gone. Thank you, Rabbi. Mm. Thank you so much. And as I say in the book, he was calling Steve Leader the rabbi. But it was Steve Leader the man who picked up the phone. And uh, this, this was again, one of those, I guess what in psychology we would call role stress, but what you and I have been calling dichotomous tension or duality. And for me, I, I privileged my humanity in a sense mm -hmm. above my role as a rabbi and it was painful for me and i wrote about it because i think that truth telling is important mm 
Mm-hmm. That, that telling the truth about internal conflict and the ways in which death and life bring that out of the basement of our psyche. You know, I've always had role stress. I've just subordinated it and locked it in the basement of my psyche, but it's always there pounding on the ceiling with a broomstick. It's always there. Mm -hmm. And this flung the door open of that basement and it, it, it flew out of me and, and with real clarity and, and, and real internal conflict. And this did cause a stir in the Jewish world. How dare a rabbi, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, I, you know, here's another nice thing about death and growing older. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to pretend anymore to be someone I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't care that people think I did the right thing or the wrong thing. I only care that I think I did the right thing. Well, and in the book, you say, I mean, I pulled out so many quotes, but dying people are not afraid of dying. I thought this was so powerful. If you are afraid of dying, it's not your day. Yeah. Anxiety is for the living. So if you are worried and anxious about dying, you're not dying, which means you have time to let death teach you about living and loving your life. Yes. I have sat next to the bedside of hundreds of dying people. By dying, I mean actively dying. Right. Hours or a couple of days. What the rabbis in the Talmud would call a gosses, a person who's likely to die within three days. They were very finely attuned 2,000 years ago to the rhythms of life and death. And I ask, Amy, are you afraid? And the answer 100% of the time has been no. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean people don't have fears when they're dying, but they're never for themselves. Mm-hmm. Therefore, other pe- are the kids going to be okay? Is my husband going to be okay? But it's never for themselves because they are okay. Because at a certain point, death is as natural as birth, as natural as life. The closest thing I can compare it to having, again, only seen it, only witnessed it, obviously, vicariously. It's kind of like, think of the worst jet lag you've ever had in your whole life. Mm -hmm. The worst. You're a zombie. All you want to do is get into that hotel room and pull the blankets up over your head and go to sleep. It's the most natural urge in the world. You're not depressed about wanting to go to sleep. You're not anxious about wanting to go to sleep. You're not angry about wanting to go to sleep. You just want to pull the covers up and snuggle in and go to sleep. And that's the closest thing I can come up with for what the experience seems like to me as an observer. And is it, do you, do you, have you experienced it as different when it is a prolonged illness versus something more sudden where someone is then, you know, faced with, look, it looks like you've got a day, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or two. Yeah. We can't, we can't fix this. Right. Um, look, when it comes to a younger person, I can give you one example that comes to mind. Member of my congregation late thirties psychiatrist, by the way, who had two young daughters and a young wife. 
and he was hours or a day or two from death. Went to his home and he handed me a letter that he had written for his daughter at her bat mitzvah if he couldn't be there. And he handed it to me and asked me to read it for her. And we hugged, talked a little, joked a little, said goodbye. And he was completely prepared. Death, disease and decline at any age, they have their own rhythm and they have their own power. And they carry everyone along to the point of acceptance, not joyous acceptance, but at least a sense of inevitability, necessity. This body is finished. Mm -hmm. This body cannot go on. It's okay. So death, in, uh, again, is the great teacher. In fact, I think it's the only teacher. You know, Kafka said the meaning of life is that it ends. Mm -hmm. That is so profound. And it is equally true that every brush with death is really a brush with life, our lives. Hi, everybody. I have a new offering that a few of you have taken advantage of so far, and it is a spiritual consultation. So, so many of you had reached out to me with like questions or wanting to know how to open up more, wanting to know, you know, what you should do in this area of your life or that area of your life that I thought I would just try to offer a new way to connect with me. So these are spiritual consultations. They can be 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. And in that time, we talk about kind of what questions you have, whether it's about opening up more spiritually, whether it's about something in your life. And we really kind of come to an understanding and a conclusion about what the next steps you need to take to achieve that are. Again, this is new to me. I've done a few of them. They are phenomenal. I am so enjoying them. It is not a therapy session. Be clear. It is not a therapy session. It is not a medium reading. It is somewhere in between. So it is using, we, we incorporate meditation and intuition and um, manifestation and intention and all of this in like a very brief period of time, but it has been extremely powerful. And the people that I, I believe that have done it have walked away feeling like they really had something tangible that they could carry with them and um, help them move their life forward. So if this is something you're interested in, please reach out to me. I don't have a lot of um, spots for them. So I'm only doing maybe one or two a month, but um, really keeping a wait list for those who are interested. So you can find that on my website if you want to dramyrobbins.com and you can go on there and click on spiritual consultation and I will get you scheduled. It might be a month or two out, but I am I'm trying to get everybody who's interested in. So Go ahead and check that out. If you have any questions, just email me about it through the website as well. Getting to back to your question of several minutes ago about things and materialism mm -hmm. and, and why I wrote this new book. The last word that most people hear from their loved one who has died, the final word 
the final articulation of meaning is a mostly boilerplate, legalese, last will written by someone who barely knew them Mm -hmm. that is entirely about who gets what and when and how much of their stuff. That's our final word. That's the legacy we want to leave the people we love. Really? What do people really want? They want our blessings. They want our life lessons, our failures, mm-hmm. our, our triumphs. They, they want our guidance. They want our love. They want our sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what people want. You know, there's this very interesting thing, powerful thing. I, I won't get too Jewy on you here, but. <laughs> no, I'm like captivated. I'm sure my audience is too. In biblical Hebrew, the word for word and the word for thing is the same word, davar. You cannot differentiate between the two. You know that, uh, for, and what does this mean psycholinguistically? It means that from that, in that context, words are real, words are concrete. Words can build, words can tear down, words can uplift, words can diminish, words are real. In fact, more real than the money and the paperweight collection and the fountain pen collection and whatever other crap we're going to give people thinking. Or my, it, my yeah, grandma. What you, my, yeah, I, I what did you get? Funny story. <laughs> so I had the most incredible grandparents. Both of all four of my grandparents lived into their 90s. So I had the joy of having grandparents till my last grandparent passed. God, what was it? Maybe five or six years ago at this point. They got to see my children. My grandfather was a pediatrician, very, very um, well, very well respected in the community. I mean, he was old school. He used to go with his medical bag. Yeah, the OG, the OG pediatrician. Exactly, exactly. Um, and they were so wise, both of them, and imparted so much wisdom. And we videoed them before they passed, mm-hmm. years before they passed. So we had it. And But I remember going and taking my grandma's brooch. She had this beautiful brooch. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, this is so pretty, but I'm never going to wear a brooch. I'm going to take it to the jeweler and see if they can make it into something I'll wear. And I got to the jeweler and the jeweler said, this is fake. And it's going to cost you way more to make a, some fake thing out of, out of this, just keep it. And so it's sitting yeah. in a Ziploc bag in my closet. And You know the phrase uh, abracadabra that magicians use to, mm-hmm. that comes, that's an Aramaic phrase that comes from the Talmud, avra kedavra, which means I create as I speak. Hmm. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. We create worlds mm-hmm. of meaning and light with our words. And yet we choose instead to leave our loved ones with this dry document. Mm-hmm. That's entirely about stuff. And 
I wrote this book because I have seen so many times how little this stuff really matters in terms of sustaining the love we have for people who have died. And how hard it is for people to ask these questions because- And answer them. Right. But, but I think even to ask them of the people that are close to you, I noticed this within myself. It's like, then I'm admitting, then I'm really reconciling the fact that there is a time that will come that yes. they will not be here. Yes. But here's the crazy thing about this book, which I hoped for, but you know, as an author, you hope for things, but you don't <clears throat> expect them. <laughs> um, millennials are buying this book like crazy. Mm. It's this, sort of like it, the Mitch album book that he wrote. Yeah. It, rem- yeah. it had that same kind well, of. Well, that's a great compliment. Um, because ultimately. Tuesdays with Maury. That was yeah, the- this, this book does two things. Yes, it will help you tell your life story in a truthful, beautiful way for your loved ones when you are gone. But it also gives you a kind of internal MRI of your life and your story at any age that you can hold up to the light and ask yourself, okay, this based on these profound questions that caused me to dig very deeply into my soul about my life, based on my answers, this is what I say my truth is. Am I living it? Mm-hmm. Or is my life mostly kabuki? And that, as you know so well, that is the most powerful gift that imagining death can give us. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I have found in myself and in the people I have tried to help when they've reached out in pain, that the unhappiest, most conflicted and tortured people I know are people whose professed values and lived values are not the same. Mm -hmm. Right, because they're completely out of alignment. They're completely out of alignment and and they're living a double life and it's a very painful way to live. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine a very painful way to die psychologically. Yes, and as you know from reading the beauty of what remains. Most people die exactly the way they live. I loved when you said that. So can you speak a little bit more to that? Because I think that there's this belief that we get a diagnosis and suddenly we are transformed. Death. So there's this joke that Heinrich Heine, the German poet had about the Jews. He said, the Jews are like everyone else, just more so. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that great? My experience, again, anecdotal, but pretty vast, is that death does not give anyone a new personality. It does not change the family's dynamic. It makes everyone more so. And so I often get calls that go like this, Rabbi, I've never had a good relationship with my mother. She's a narcissist. She's cold. She's withholding. She's manipulative. And really, I I haven't had much to do with her 
for the past 10 years except texting her on her birthday because ever since I was a little girl, being around her, she just made me feel awful about myself and she was a constant disappointment. But she's just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. They've given her about three months to live and I'm gonna fly back east to see her and I'm I'm really hopeful that we're gonna have a a real coming together, a real healing. And my answer is, I hope so, but I doubt it. Mm-hmm. And I want to manage your expectations because most people die exactly the way they live. And if your mother was a narcissist in life, she's going to be a narcissist in death. And if she refused to answer questions honestly to you when living, she's going to be the same way when dying. And you need to be prepared for that because the other is a fantasy that is Mm -hmm. highly, highly unlikely to come true. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the good news. Families that have, that are kind of like, or relationships that are big and whole and juicy and filled with love and tears and laughter, and they're going to be exactly that way when death arrives. Mm-hmm. So that's the good news. And what does this mean also? You know, people also call me and say, I'm going back to visit my college roommate from 45 years ago. Um, you know, he's we're so close and he's dying and I'm going back, Rabbi, what do I say? And my answer is always two words followed by two words. That's it. The first two words are show up, walk in the door. That's like the biggest, that's how I live my life is show up with that. that that's word, it. Those words. And the second two, and I'm pretty sure you live your life based on this also. Yeah. Those second two words are be you be real be yourself your friend does not need you to walk in the door with this long sad face oh amy i'm so sorry oh it's mm-hmm. so awful this like bad acting job or it putting feels your so disingenuous and no what what your friend needs is for you to be her friend, the friend you've always been. If you're a hugger, hug. If you're a feeder, feed. If you're an errand runner, run errands. If you're a joker, joke. If you're a crier, cry. Just be real, be you, because that is the only thing that assures someone that the bottom hasn't fallen out of the world, that they are still themselves because you are still yourself with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I learned this from a friend of mine whose son died by suicide. His 35-year-old son died by suicide. And this friend of mine was a rabbi. And I asked him, what did you learn through this experience? And he said, well, I just wanted people to be who they always have been in my life. I didn't want people to pretend at all. And I, I, I think that's so important. Also for mourners, when you walk into a home, someone who's grieving, be real, be yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, after all these years, 35 years of standing in hospital hallways before I walk in a room or standing on front doorsteps before I walk into a home where someone is dying or someone has died. I, after 35 years, Amy, I don't know what I'm going to say when I walk in. All I know is I have to walk in and be myself and the rest will unfold. Mm-hmm. That's it. 
Well, as you were talking, I just have so many things come to mind as you were talking. I said, you know, I had four grandparents that died closely together. So I had young children at the time. And there was a point where one of my kids said, are we going to have another party like that soon? (laughs) Their experience of the Shiva. Yeah, because that was your family. Because that's your family. And that's beautiful. Exactly. And it was, yeah, it was beautiful that this was their association. Right. Death. Which is. Because that's Go their association in life mm-hmm. of their family. Now, imagine if the kids were thinking, oh, do we ever have to be with, you know, our cousins again? They're mm-hmm. awful. Do we really have to be with aunt whoever again? Oh. It, so lucky you. Oh, yes. There's no question about that. I'm and what a beautiful so kind of proof that. If you want to sort of be successful in death, be successful in life. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say there haven't been ups and downs around death when when there has been death and tension. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. It makes Mm -hmm. everything more so. Mm -hmm. The small pain becomes a more intense pain. Yes. And ultimately, this is why, again, I called that book The Beauty of What Remains. It's ultimately life affirming. We often learn, as you know, from our parents, what to do, how to parent, how to be a spouse. And we often learn from them by negative example, what not to do, Mm -hmm. what never to do as a parent, as a spouse. You know, that, that woman of that narcissistic mother withholding mother can and in this case has become a humble warm generous mother and wife Mm. because of the negative example Mm -hmm. you know there's this concept that i love in theology called via negationis in latin which means by way of the negative now in theology this is a school of theology that basically posits that you can understand what God is by deciding what God is not, Mm, right? mm -hmm. By taking away via negationis, by way of the negative. The way I like to think of this is like a marble statue. That beautiful marble statue began as just a block of marble. Mm -hmm. That beauty was always within it, but it was only revealed by a skilled artist removing chip by chip by chip Mm -hmm. everything within that block that was not beautiful so that what remains is beautiful Mm -hmm. and i see i see death in a sense not for the dying necessarily but for those of us who grieve and mourn i see death as that artist that hammer that chisel that helps remove from our lives not the love of of our loved one, but the nonsense in our lives, the things that don't matter, the distractions, the hurry and the scurry and the worry and the flurry and the, the stuff. It helps. Death is, is an invitation to essentialism in our lives. You know, one of my questions in For You When I'm Gone that I explore is, what do you want your epitaph to be? 
What do you want carved in stone about your life for your loved ones when you're gone? Mm -hmm. Because when you have to distill your life's truth down to 15 characters per line and four lines total, which is what the cemetery gives you for a headstone generally. But they all 60, seem to often say the same thing. That's the beautiful point. Right. That is the powerful point. You hit on it. Despite the fact, and I walk through cemeteries so often. And despite the fact that we're all unique and we lead unique lives, they're almost complete uniformity of inscriptions, epitaphs on headstones. They almost all say the same thing. And what is that? Loving, Loving. wife, mother, grandmother, sister, daughter, Mine's friend. Mine's going to say she really did give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's not. No, it's not. What if I, I know, tell them that's what I wanted to say? You're not going to tell them that. <laughs> I know you're not. Because that's not really how you want to leave your love. You don't want those to be your final words to your loved one. You might say, she really cared. Right. But you're not going to make a joke. You're not going to summarize. You're not going to make the distillate of your life a joke. I know you're not. So what does this mean, this commonality? Well, let's do this via negationis. What has it stripped away? Where you went to college isn't there. Your resume is not there. Your net worth isn't there. Your zip code's not there. Your grandchild's GPA isn't there. Your paperweight collection isn't there. Where they went to school isn't there. Your kids, yeah, your no, grandkids. Right? None of it. None of it. And here again, this question of what do you want your epitaph to be is so instructive for your life because then you get to ask yourself, okay, okay, Steve. You say you want your epitaph to be loving husband, father, grandfather, brother, friend. Are you living that way? Mm -hmm. Have you picked up the phone and called your sister who's getting divorced in the past month? What's wrong with me? Are we living? Are we aligned with what we say we want? to bequeath to our loved ones when we're gone. So mm. this exercise in essentialism, this exercise in the stripping away to, to see clearly the beauty we're trying to achieve in our lives is very powerful experience. Can we talk about happiness? Yeah, of course. Cause I like how you, def you, you talk about it in, in the book. Mm -hmm. um, because I think we have become a very happiness-driven culture. And we yes, are we constantly have. seeking this, what seems like external happiness. Mm -hmm. and, and as you described it, it reminded me so much of my children's bar, bar and bat mitzvahs, if people have heard me talk about that on the show. because <laughs> And I'm sure they have. <laughs> and I, I think I've talked about it because it's literally a moment Yes, there's I've never I could cry even recounting it. Yes. When I stand up, <clears throat> we've done Havdalah services for, for both kids. And as the cancer closes the service and she sings and I, I have never felt closer to God yes. in my life. It's transcendent. And in that moment. Yes. 
after watching yes <laughs> I now, know, who, after watching yeah. my children yes just blossom yes and and then to have the the party after which i would imagine where you are there's some pretty pretty big parties that are thrown um but that to to be surrounded by the love and the people yes. that you love yes and the moments leading up to it are often not super happy that's right <laughs> they're filled with did you you know did you did you did you, did you write your Devar your Devar Torah? Torah. Did you yeah. read? You know, are you ready? How many I th- times I do think, I need to I think, Amy, back and forth? I think it's even more than that. I think the moments leading up to that began with the pain of childbirth, with the worry of parenting, with the exhaustion of parenting, with the um, failures and of parenting with the sacrifices of parenting. What the book reveals is despite what people think about transcendent joy or happiness, which is that it is um, a lucky thing or a transitory thing like ice cream or winning the lottery, those really are not the happiest, most joyful moments in our lives. As I put it in the book, happiness and joy are the fruits of a slow growing tree. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about biblical Hebrew again for a moment. We tend in our culture to think of sacrifice as a negative, as a net loss. Mm. He made the ultimate sacrifice. Oh, she sacrificed so much for those kids. Oh my God. But in Hebrew, the word for sacrifice is korban. And the root meaning of that word is the same root that's used for words like krovim, which means our relatives, or karov, to be close, or kiruv, to gather in, to bring together. So again, the psycholinguistics behind the idea of sacrifice that word korban is that sacrifice is a way of drawing nearer to God and nearer to each other. Mm-hmm. We care about and love most the people we sacrifice the most for. We do not sacrifice because we love. We love because we sacrifice. And that's what you experienced in a moment that felt like a flower blossoming in time-lapse photography when your kids were on that beam. Mm -hmm. That's what you were experiencing. You were experiencing the result of 13 years of you sacrificing for these children drawing near to them, close to them, and therefore to God. You know, every horizontal connection of love is also a vertical connection. Mm. Wow. By the way, think about this, the symbol of the cross. That's exactly what it is. It's the joining together of the horizontal and the vertical. 
the star mm. of day the star of david is exactly the same thing it is it's one triangle pointing upward mm -hmm. superimposed on a triangle pointing downward it is the fusing of the vertical and the horizontal mm. so this ver this horizontal experience you had was yes also a connection with the divine so how do we find those moments throughout our lives <laughs> well you they are again as i said they they find you mm. if you are authentically engaged in loving and caring for others you know there's this great uh, chinese proverb that i love if you want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. If you want to be happy for a day, go fishing. If you want to be happy for a month, get married. <laughs> no comment. Uh, you know, the honeymoon period, let's say. If you want to be happy for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want to be happy for a lifetime, help another person. Mm. It is in the giving that we receive. We do not become poorer by giving. We become richer by giving. This is the deep concept of sacrifice. This is the deep concept of love. And these, these are the embryonic sources of joy and meaning and happiness. Well, I want to be respectful of your time because I know we, we have to wrap up soon. I might move to L.A. and just become a member of your <laughs> well, congregation. <laughs> we, we, the weather's better. The pizza's worse. That's yeah. all I can tell you. Uh, but, but we live stream, so you don't, you don't have to move to L.A. But I'm, I, I appreciate what you're saying very much. Um, and uh, you and I are both engaged in trying to understand and make life more beautiful for others and ourselves and mm -hmm. i mean what what nobler blessing could we hope for really let me ask you this question before we wrap up because i love i like asking this of spiritual leaders what do you believe happens to us when we die well i don't know because there's only one way to find out and you can't come back to talk about it or can you? <laughs> well, I, no one has yet. Uh, but I'll tell you what I do know. Right? You start with what you don't know, and it reveals what you do know. So I have, I have literally seen a thousand dead bodies. And it is so clear to me that that is not the person. Mm. It, is an, it is an empty vessel. Mm-hmm. There is so much more to us than our corporeal being. So much more. In fact, most of what makes each of us unique is not our bodies. It's the part of us that is temporarily housed within this vessel. You can call it a soul, you can call it a spirit, you can call it an energy. I don't care what you call it. It doesn't matter. But we're talking about the non-physical, the non-material, the non-corporeal part 
of each of us. That, I believe, does not die when the body dies. And that is as far as I can go. Mm-hmm. I don't know more than that. But I do know that a body is not a human being. On that note, I'm going to, I just want to end with this quote from your book. I want to live a beautiful life so that beauty is what remains within them when I'm gone. We are helpless in death, but we are not helpless in life. Mm. Rabbi, thank you so much. If people want, which I am sure they will, to hear about your work, to find your books, which I recommend wholeheartedly. They are incredible. They are like little Bibles. Um, that will live next to my bed. Uh, and, and I'm thinking about even just now, almost like a birthday present, rather than waiting to death till, till I'm nearing death or even contemplating it. Like every few years recording myself speaking to these, yeah. to think you know, about I'll, how they I'll, evolve. I'll give you an interesting idea. A woman reached out to me on Instagram not long ago, and she's part of a father-daughter book group. And they're reading the book together, all the fathers and daughters, and talking about these questions with each other. Mm. What an amazing idea. Mm-hmm. And then I have a really close friend. I just love the idea of a father-daughter book group. Yeah, well, yeah, let's start with that. And I, I have a very close friend named Amanda, whose uh, husband died early on in oh, COVID. Yeah, I know that. And, uh, and he died and... They had a six-month-old baby. And she and I were talking about this book, For You When I'm Gone. And she said, I wish Nick had done this. Mm-hmm. I just wish I had his answers to these questions about his life so that Elvis, who's their son, so that Elvis, when he's older, has the, the real answer. He, he's going to want to know about his dad, his father's truth. And I said, well... <clears throat> Why don't you answer these questions for Nick? Answer them as you believe Nick would answer them and ask Nick's family to answer them the way they believe Nick would answer them. So that Elvis, yes, it's one degree removed, but give him this legacy for Nick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I thought about it when you said, "Ah, we wonder what my grandfather would say. Well, if there's anyone left who really knew your grandfather really well, ask them what they, th- how they think oh, your grandfather would you know. answer these questions. <laughs> uh, okay, write it down because yeah. your children and your grandchildren have a lot to learn from your wise grandparents. He would say, put a little zinc oxide on it. Yeah. And you're okay. Yeah. The, <laughs> by, yeah. by the way, my, my wife's dad, died at 98 and he was a physician and she was the kid who her parents and her mother's a nurse. Her parents never thought anything was a serious illness. <laughs> she could have had a dangling limb. Yeah. And her father said, eh, it's okay. Right. A little pressure on it. Yeah, exactly. That's sort of how we yeah. were. A little, okay. a little zinc oxide <laughs> yeah. and some yeah. antibacterial soap yeah. will do. Yeah. Yeah. And mostly they were right. Right. Don't overreact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, People can find me on Instagram at at Steve underscore leader. They can find me at steveleader.com. They can always go to the Wilshire Boulevard Temple website. 
and all the books are on uh, Amazon. And two of one, my very first book, which was written 25 years ago, was just reissued in hardcover. And the book, More Beautiful Than Before, How Suffering Transforms Us, that you mentioned, which was my third book, just came out in paperback. So there's kind of this second wave, which I'm really, really mm-hmm. honestly proud of and, and happy about. So just go to Amazon. It's all there. And, and But it's also many of them are at your local bookstore, too. And, and I, I like to support that, of course. Um, and feel free to reach out. I really do answer my own messages on Instagram. I spend like an hour every day mm. because because I, I think otherwise it's fake. Mm-hmm. It's just more kabuki. And as, right. as we said earlier, we're kind of done with that. Mm-hmm. We're done pretending. Well, thank you. This was You're very this was an amazing conversation. I'm grateful for your time today, for your wisdom, for your sermons that I've watched before, mm. and for you really addressing, I think, the most important issue that we face. Well, thank is, you. It's been an honor. I really mean that. We have a beautiful connection, and, and I hope we get to talk again um, in the future, and I hope our paths cross. I really do. I do, too. I do too. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.